Hi, welcome to Remote Control, the Variety's TV podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week, we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On today's episode, we're talking to producer Judd Apatow. Stay tuned. And thank you, Judd, for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Judd does not need a lot of introduction. Uh, I'll take it. Let's hear it. <laughs> let's list all the credits. He's known. Let's see. Let's start from... Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to uh, the Larry Sanders Heavyweights. show. <laughs> Heavyweights. Drillbit Taylor. Well, <laughs> you say in, in Zen Diaries, which I rewatched a chunk of last night, you say what your first job was and now I, in TV, and I can't remember. My first job in TV? Yeah. Well, one of my first jobs was writing the Grammys right, in 1991 it. for Gary. From when he hosted, yeah. Yes, and I wrote uh, for Tom Arnold. I wrote his stand-up act, and then I wrote three HBO specials for Tom, and then I uh, wrote for Roseanne for her stand-up special in 1991. <laughs> it was a hot year for me, 91. And if I'm not mistaken, that was the Millie Vanilli Grammys? I think it's it a been. very interesting question. I think it's the Millie Vanilli Grammys. I, I prefer they... to think of it as the Bob Dylan Sings Masters of War After the Gulf War Started Grammys, if anyone remembers that. <laughs> you couldn't really understand a word he was saying. It wasn't powerful. Because of that, you can't hear it. If you don't know he's saying the words Masters of War, it's lost on you. Then and now, not exactly one that rolls off the tongue for most people. Exactly. Also, when Gary hosted the the Grammys back then, I I watched some of it recently, and he made a joke about how Mick Jagger was older than the president. But I like that he was making jokes about how old Mick Jagger was in 1991. <laughs> Still on the road. Yeah. Little did we know. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, we were talking just as we were cam- coming in here in the 30 minutes that we're going to be on stage. Undoubtedly, some major media company yes. will make another bid <laughs> for a major yeah. media company. I bought Google. I picked it up cheaply. I merged with them. <laughs> but let me ask you, I mean, it is a busy day. Comcast has made good on all of its promises. It, it has, in fact, put down, uh, put down money on the table and saying we, we will pay a couple billion more mm-hmm. for, for Fox than Disney. So that's going to set mm-hmm. off a lot of, you know, a lot of rich yeah. guys with rich toys playing. Yeah, games. I'm excited for Rupert Murdoch not to own Fox movies. You think that's a good thing? Yeah, for Earth. Let's get them out of all of those businesses so they could focus on the news and hypnotizing the earth into thinking that uh, that rich people want everyone else to be rich too. <laughs> I'm guessing you're not going from here to Sean Hannity's show I'm, I'm, tonight. I'm, yeah, I'm not, I gotcha. I'm As a content creator, a prolific content creator and producer and shepherd of fine mm-hmm. projects by... Um, but from other creatives, how does this moment, we're in mm-hmm. a big tectonic plate shifting yes. kind of moment, how, what do you think as somebody who's in the business of, of selling TV shows and movies? Uh, well, I have, a, I have a different perspective of it because, you know, people want things, and so it's not like the environment where no one wants to buy, to, yeah. to buy anything. <laughs> it's like everyone's like, what do you got? What do you got? And uh, so, it, it, you know, for me, I have to, you know, focus on uh, not... Uh, extending myself to a place where I can't do my best work mm. because I need a deal where I deliver 11 series and you know like that's not really a, a place that I can create from the fact that like everyone wants so much stuff 
Because, you know, you only have so many hours in the day. You can only write so many jokes every day. You can only read so many scripts every day. And I, I feel like uh, I, I wouldn't do a good job. I could, I could make 11 shitty shows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in this environment, I would imagine that your phone's probably ringing. You probably could say, yeah, yeah. I'll put Judd Apatow's name on this show yes. or that show. And that, that's got to be a, a gut check for you. Well, luckily for me, I don't, and, and I don't know why, I just am very uncomfortable uh, being, uh, having my name on things that I'm not like uh, sweat and blood for. Like the idea of it is like, hey, we'll... This will be easier because we'll put your name on it and you'll get a piece. But you don't really have to do nothing. Uh, I, I'm very uncomfortable because when things don't come out well, I, I'm, I'm so miserable that I, I don't trust anybody to uh, just go do their thing and not pay attention. Yeah. And I think that's maybe a danger of this situation is uh, a lot of people are overextended. And, yeah. and where's the quality control? It's hard to make one TV show. Uh, and so I, I just I don't know how people people do it, you know. And and it, it's easier if you don't like your kids. <laughs> you know, daddy's got to work late. You know. <laughs> and you are blessed with a very talented family. I uh, I do I do I have very uh, nice children who have no interest in uh, anything I do. Uh, only one out of the two has watched my stand-up special. <laughs> Uh, and the other one shows no interest whatsoever, and uh, it's hurtful. <laughs> um, do you, but on a, you know, again, from a sort of how the industry is reshaping itself, yeah. there are more buyers, there are certainly yeah. more outlets, but does it concern you that, that there, there are more outlets, but behind the scenes it's still about eight to ten companies that control? Well, I, uh, I don't. You know, I kind of probably come at this from a very uh, spoiled angle, which is my only concern is making good things. Then I'd like a lot of people to see them. So where, what do I think? I just think there's so many shows. I hope I can get people to watch my show. And I hope if they watch my show, I hope they remember it because they're probably watching the entire series of Friends over the next eight days. <laughs> or you know? ER. Yeah, so people are just watching so much stuff. I always think, like, what, what do you remember, like... You know, we used to watch MASH every week for 10 years, and we had this relationship with the show and with the characters, and so 100 million people would watch the finale, and I think, you know, there are shows that are so brilliant, and people watch them in a day, and then how much uh, can you hold? I mean, I forget... Quality viewing. I, I lost my wallet three times today already. So how much can you remember from a great episode if people are binging so much TV? But, uh, but then sometimes I think I'm, I'm stuck in a model I grew up in, and maybe my, my uh, daughter is having the same relationship with the show she likes that I did when I watched Taxi. Uh, so that's more what I think about is, do you remember any of it? Like, what am I creating? What am I, I'm trying to reach your heart in some way. And if you instantly forget it, that kind of is the thing that would depress me the most. That I'm just part of a giant black hole of digital need. Uh, <laughs> and then no one remembers anything. Uh, so, uh, but in terms of the business part of it, 
you know, I think it's, it's great for HBO. I hope they get a lot more money to make programming. Uh, they do great work. It'd be fun to do more stuff with them and for them to have uh, the ability to, you know, to expand what they're doing. It's hard to believe that we're in a world where HBO is, is you know, is not the underdog, but certainly dwarfed in spending yeah. by some other companies that we barely yeah. even heard of 10 years ago. No, it, it, happens, uh, it happens very uh, yeah. quickly. And, I, you know, creatively for me, it, people have been very supportive and, uh, you know, they, they've allowed us, you know, we're basically able to make what we want to make. We're not in insane debates over the creative. We we're having healthy conversations and, you know, that part of it, I think, has been very positive. And it's positive for tons of people. Uh, you know, there are shows like, you know, Lady Dynamite on Netflix that you, you think that might not have existed five years ago. And that's one of my, you know, favorite shows ever. So... Uh, there's a lot of weird things being made and, and uh, experimental things, and that's very exciting. Yeah. Um, and some, even something like Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling, you know, yeah. it's kind of an unusual format, yeah. four hours. And, I mean, let me add, be the millionth person to tell you, it's just beautifully done. Thank you. I mean, it's, a, it's such a great portrait of a person, but all the little touches of, you know, his diary entries coming up on the screen, it's just really be- visually beautifully done. Thank you. Well, my editor was uh, Joe Beshenkovsky, who did the movie Jane about Jane Goodall, and he also edited uh, Montage of Heck about Kurt Cobain. And I just got very lucky with this brilliant uh, visionary editor who really helped push it to another level. And then we had the composer from uh, who, who did Freaks and Geeks and Bridesmaids, uh, Mike Andrews, score it. And I felt bad because I asked him, will you score my documentary? And he thought, well, that's not a, much work. And then one day I called him and I said, it's four hours and 20 minutes. And, uh, and he was uh, very enthusiastic about scoring it like a movie with the same emotional... Uh, you know, ideas into music that he would for any story, and and that's another reason why I think it's so powerful is it has a beautiful score. Mm, it does, yeah, it, it really does. Um, do you think that? I mean, as you say, like right, a show like Lady Dynamite or a, a, a really sweet show like Love, mm-hmm. which you also do for Netflix. I mean, these are these are shows. I think about uh, you know, I remember the days of the battles of freaks and geeks yeah. trying to keep that show. It's hard to believe that that show with that cast yeah. <laughs> struggled. But it did in network TV. Now you fast forward to this era, like with something like Zen Diaries. Did you pitch it to them as a four-hour, or was it? Did it evolve as you as you really dug into the material? I guess my question is, do, is it is it easier now? It seems like it's easier now to pitch ideas and let the format and running time come yeah. organically, as opposed to here's yeah. my. Here's my two hour. Mm-hmm. Here's my, you know. Well, that was a, a perfect experience. I you know, talked to Richard Plepler from HBO after Gary passed, and we were doing a memorial service. And I, I said to him, you know, would you guys, you know, help sponsor the event? Just throw us a bone, just anything, mm-hmm. because we did a big thousand seat memorial for Gary, and we edited together all these little documentaries about him. And and he just said, uh, well, what's it cost? The whole thing. And I told him, and it was a lot. And uh, he says, we'll cover it. We love Gary. And we feel like when we did the Larry Sanders show, HBO hadn't really figured out who they were at that point. Mm -hmm. And he said that the quality of the Larry uh, Sanders show made them realize, oh, this is the whole network. This is what we want to be. Mm -hmm. This, we should be a quality network and experimental and do new things, uh, 
it's not TV, it's HBO. Uh, and he said that that came from watching Gary. And he also said that when he first started at HBO and he was a young executive, that Gary was very nice to him and was nice to him in the same way for you know, the next 25 years. And that he, he was just a great uh, supporter and, and friend. Uh, and so when I said I wanted to do the documentary, I was already making it. I just assumed someone will want to do it. Mm-hmm. I hoped it would be HBO. And they said, okay. And then at a certain point, I realized you can't do this in two hours. Uh, There's too much here. And I love the Eagles documentary and the Bob Dylan uh, documentary, uh, which are two-part, four-hour documentaries. And I called him and said, I think this is more like that. And he said, okay, well, you know, just do it however you want to do it, and we'll look at it when it's done, and just follow your heart with, uh, with your edit. And I think later he told me, that he was very nervous <laughs> when I said it was going to be long because I'm known for my long. And, uh, and, and then they were just very happy about it. Mm-hmm. Well, again, beautiful, beautifully done. Let's talk about how your company, your, your company runs. Um, for, something like, for something like Zen Diaries, if you started doing it on your own, you put some of your own money into it? In yes, I... That might have just been grief, but I just decided this needs to be made. I think someone will want to show it. And there were some people who had asked about making it, and, I, and the, the, the way they wanted to do it didn't feel right, but I knew there was interest, and I thought between all of these streaming services that I would make my money back in some way. And I did the same thing with the Avid Brothers documentary, oh, uh, May the, at Last, the which is, artists, yeah. we, we just paid for it for several years and prayed that... Uh, we would be able to set it up somewhere. And HBO saw it when we were done, and they, they bought it, and uh, I made uh, $200. <laughs> you, make, uh, you make less in documentaries. I don't know if you realize that. This, this is what uh, my whole family is really scared. They're like, you really like the docs lately. Uh, Iris has got to go to college. <laughs> uh. Um, do you and you're a free agent? You don't. Uh, Apatow Productions is you. You you're for television. You I am. I have a uh, a, a first look at directing deal at Universal, and I have uh, a producing deal at Universal. Mm-hmm. But um, are you so you're able to to finance like early development on projects yeah. for you? I, I, uh, I some of that I do on my own. Some of that I do with Universal's help. The Big Sick wasn't set up for years because we just thought no one is going to get this till it's pretty good. And Kamel and Emily never said, can we have some money now? And they, which is weird. They just, they just wrote for years, and they didn't understand that maybe they should have asked for money. Their agents uh, weren't after you? Nobody for... was. We were just like, this is weird. It's a, an immigrant story about a coma. I don't, it's not like the thing that <laughs> the world is dying to see right now. Uh, so I guess we have to write it to prove it. Uh, and Kamel never said, well, you give me the money. So, I, so that conversation never happened. And then luckily, as a result of having all the freedom and the time to try to write it correctly, when we did uh, set it up, uh, it was very strong, and people were ready to make the movie. And you had, of course, in, at, by that time, the marketplace. Correct me if I'm wrong. That was Amazon? That was uh, Amazon, yes. Amazon. Yep. So by that time... They you, bought it at Sundance. You had a buyer that yeah. was you know, n- n- interested in something that would be as non-traditional as, as the big six. Yes, I think, uh, you know, we, we knew it would be more entertaining than anyone would expect it to be, and that it would play well at Sundance. And it premiered 
the day Trump was inaugurated. <laughs> so it also felt oddly about what was happening in the world. Yeah. Because it was at a time uh, w- where there was a lot of talk about uh, you know, the ban of people coming in from Muslim nations. And I think a lot of uh, the worst things Trump has said was happening right at that time. So to have a movie that said, well, maybe that's not correct. Uh, and we'll prove that by just showing normal, nice people that, that, that can help to connect in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another, another terrific property. Um, it, it seems like over the course of your career, you've really evolved now into working, helping other, helping other creatives shape their projects, get, the, get their kind of visions on the air. Another sh- great show that you're doing is Crashing mm-hmm. with Pete Holmes. Kind of the, it, it's, such a, it's, a, it's such a window on the world of what it's like to be a to be a struggling stand-up comic. Well, I you know I started as a comedian when I was 17 uh, years old, 33 years ago, and uh, I've always loved that world. We did funny people about stand-up comedians, and uh, you know Pete pitched me the idea. What happened was I was shooting a sketch. He had a talk show, and the sketch was him pitching me bad ideas for movies and TV shows, and me rejecting them. And we were just improvising, and then he basically pitched crashing. Mm-hmm. about a guy who wants to be a comedian and then his wife cheats on him and he moves to New York to follow his dream, which is Pete's story in real life. And in the sketch, I heard it and I just went, no, that's terrible, that's so sad. And, uh, and then like a, a year later, Pete's like, maybe that is a good idea. And we talked about it and, and set it up uh, at HBO. Yeah. And we're shooting our third, our third season right now. Yeah, and we have a clip. Oh, geez. Is it the Artie Lang clip? Artie. Hey, what's going on? What's going on? Where were you? You, you? you missed the show. You know what, man? I'm sorry. I had some stuff going on, okay? I, I had to do some things. I apologize, all right? I'm sorry. Some stuff, really. Some stuff going on. What was going on? You know, I don't know. Something was going on. You got to stay out. Get out, of my, get out of my ass about this, all right? I've been running back and forth to get people to cover for you. Oh, I'm all broken up about that. Honestly, you know, I'm going to be honest about this. I guess I'm a piece of shit, all right? You, you just fucked Wayne? You just fucked me? You fucked the show? You know, okay, I'm done with this. I'm a piece of shit. Let's just leave it at that. I was out scoring. I was out trying to buy drugs, okay? What? Yeah, that's what, what I was doing, all right? What happened to turning it around? <laughs> We're turning things around. You are unfucking believable, man. You are, so, are you stupid or naive? Or just ignorant? I don't know where the fuck you came from. They're turning it around. Do you see who's talking to you, man? I'm a heroin addict. I bullshit people. That's what I do. I'm not going to turn it around ever. I thought we were moving in the right direction. What, what happened to moving? <laughs> moving in the right direction? Yes, I thought we were making some changes. Were, were you with me the other night when I was sweating from withdrawals and I had to go copping for him? Were you with me that night? Were you moving in the right direction with me that night? No, you weren't. So I had to go do what I have to do. And you do whatever you do. Already- I know you're struggling... I I'm believe struggling, in struggling you. ain't the word, man. Struggling ain't the word. This is a physical thing. It's not just uh, an emotional thing. It's physical getting off heroin. I know. Phys- I, I could go back. Honestly, I wish I could go back when a, a younger Artie did heroin for the first time in a fucking hotel room on the, uh, on the road. And I wish I could tackle that guy. I literally, I wish I could tackle him and stop him from doing it. But it, it's over. It's just over. Do you feel, I mean, not having any sense of what it's like to be a um, stand-up comic, but I do feel, do you feel like that's, there's a little bit of documentary in crashing? It feel, it, 
Well, with Doherty, Doherty is, especially, you know, Artie is a brilliantly talented person who's had very serious uh, addiction issues for a long time. And, you know, he was on the show and struggling, and we were seeing that he was struggling. And at one point, uh, we just said, you know, we want you on the show, but we also don't want to lie about what's happening. And uh, would you want to do an episode where we really just directly address it as honestly as we can. And he was uh, brilliant in helping us uh, write the episode and in his performance. And, you know, we said, you know, this is a you know, gift to people to, to show what you go through and how hard it is. And you never know, there could be someone out there watching the show and there'll be a moment in their life where they can make a mistake that you made and they'll just say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. Uh, and uh, it's, I, I think it's a, it's a really incredible performance. Yeah, it is the eloquence of, I wish I could tackle that guy. That's yeah. an image that will stay sure. with you. What do you feel like on a show like Crashing or Girls or, you know, the shows that, the more recent shows that you've been involved with, what do you think is your biggest contribution? Is it standing back and kind of offering the big picture story shaping? Um, what, what would you? Uh, I, well, I think uh, I, I have some sense of all the stages of the production and how to set up. Uh, the show in a way that makes everyone able to do their best work. So just over many years, I'm aware, just how much time you need to do things, what budget is Mm -hmm. the logical budget that actually takes a lot of pressure off of people so they can be creative. And then uh, I, you know, a lot of it is just story work, working with everybody on the scripts and and the stories and the editing. I'm usually not on set very much. I'll direct an episode of Crashing this season, but for the most part, I just try to hire great directors and then work on the scripts, and then join them again in editing. So maybe my story sense, I, I hope, is most helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, shows, again, like Crashing, like Love, very intimate stories, very, very specific stories. Are there things in this moment of great demand and appetite for, for um, specific narrow storytelling, are there things that you can't sell? Are there things that you can't get out there that you, that you want to do but can't? Find a home for. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know what they are yet. Mm-hmm. I, but I, I, you know, the things that I'm interested in are just the, the the struggles that normal people have to just be happy and to evolve and get through life. So I, I'm not. You know, I, I'm the, the kind of risks I'm taking are not. You know, I'm not trying to do something that costs as much as Game of Thrones. Right. I'm, I, 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 I feel like people generally relate to what I want to write about, so, it, so it's not as hard as, as if I had a David Lynchian idea, uh, then that might be more complicated. Yeah, gotcha. Um, do, you feel like, um, do you feel like that there is, I guess my question would be, are, would you ever go back to, net, to commercial network television? You, you very much yeah. working in the commercial free zone in the last uh, bunch of years. There is nothing that has made my life better. <laughs> than not working for network television. <laughs> I'm sure there are great people, and you know, it changes, and there may be the nicest person in the world that is helpful in that process, but the thing that, you know, the elements in network television that people rarely talk about is it's creativity with a gun to your head, right? Because they can cancel you at any moment. You know, Netflix, they'll just be like, yeah, we don't need any more. You know, and, then, and that's kind of how it goes. That like, but, never but you'll finish a season. They don't, you know, it's not like you're in the middle of your series, Ted Sarandos walks on the set and is like, unplug it. You know, that doesn't, 
you know, so you're getting to finish thoughts. And so you, you make a bunch, and then you have a conversation. You want a bunch more? Okay, I make a bunch more. But for network television, you know, on episode two, if the ratings are bad, you'll get a call from the network, we need more hot chicks on the show. Ratings are low. And you're like, what? What is happening? I, I, don't, I don't think that's the fix that we need. Yeah, do it, or you're canceled. And you're like, you're up all night crying. You don't know what's... I remember, like, a network executive said to me, like, we need more eye candy. I was like, oh, God, I can't. And that's scary because they cancel you. I mean, that happened to me three times. The Ben Stiller Show, Freaks and Geeks, and Undeclared, where I was canceled mid-season, mid-thought uh, on these shows. <laughs> Mid-sentence, yeah. You know, and, uh, and I think that's a lot of the reason why there's this panic. Also because they'll do the same thing with your casting. They just won't approve it. You'll say, I'd like these four people to be the star. And, and networks are very aggressive about it. I like two of them, but the other two are the ones I like. And they don't understand, well, you've just ruined the whole show. This show will never work because it can't be half my thought and half your thought. You have to let us complete it. And so I'm sure there are people who have the power to get through that. I'm sure Dick Wolf isn't complaining about this. But I think for younger, <laughs> younger people, it's, uh, it's a little uh, harder. But I'm still stinging from going up against who wants to be a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still bitter from the old days. <laughs> Even though in, in those old days, you, you didn't come to the table as Judd Apatow as yeah. you are now. You no, I came to the table as Judd Apatow failure. And, uh, <laughs> and so it was hard to you know, get uh, people to bet on me. But I, I have friends who, who've made established shows, and they're the legendary hits of all time. And they come in with their new show, and they all say the same thing. It's like I never had a hit. I don't, I don't get any leeway that you would think because I did this, you know, one of the best shows of all time. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's in the system. You know, this, this idea of, uh, you, know, a, a, you know, when we did uh, Love, Ted Sarandos, he gave us two seasons mm-hmm. before we shot the pilot. He's like, go do two seasons. And, uh, and that helped, that you helps know. You plot it helps you plot. It yeah. helps you hire people and, you know, and figure your thing out. So we're, we're not in a panic. We're just obsessed creatively, and I think there's a little more panic uh, with the networks. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably fair, yeah. fair assessment. Um, let me ask you, you have really developed quite a voice on Twitter and on social media. You, you are outspoken. You've been outspoken, very, very outspoken about Bill Cosby and your feelings about that situation even before the, you know, long before this court case, and you, know, you often talk about politics. Does it, um, is, that a, is that a release for you, or do you feel like that that is somehow you know, accruing to building the, the you know, profile of Judd Apatow? In the- uh, am I speaking out against Trump to monetize my brand? <laughs> <laughs> is that the question? <laughs> no, I think you probably lose a lot of people when you, when you speak up. Uh, I think that uh, there are certain people that are very mad, less and less. I mean, I could feel how many people get mad at me for saying something, uh, you know, a year and a half ago versus now. I, you, he, you know, he certainly lost a lot of support, thank God. But um, I just feel like uh, you know, we all have a responsibility to pay attention to what's going on and, and to speak up and to fight for what we think uh, is right. And I, it, I, a lot of people are like, Judd, get off of Twitter. You should be writing another screenplay. And I, it's very difficult because I, I feel like I read something every day and I, I think it's important people know about it. And did you see that video Trump made to convince 
Like, he literally thinks all uh, Kim Jong-un wants is to hang out with Stallone. <laughs> he has Stallone in it and, and basketball. And, and so we have a crazy person running the country. I, I so uh, was thrown by that. Like, we live in a... It's like RoboCop. We're living in the first RoboCop. <laughs> <laughs> So we have to all speak up, I think. Is there, um, I mean, I know there's a lot of comedy to be, you know, tragic comedy yes. to be mined, but do you specifically see any, any comedy to be mined out of, for you, or a production of yours out uh, of the Trump administration? I, well, it all moves a little, a little too fast. <laughs> uh, you know, to, to, I mean, I write stand-up comedy about it, and I rant about it at the comedy store and the improv, but I, I, I don't know how you do it in time. I think in, you know, in the future, though, there will be incredible movies about Michael Cohen turning on Trump, uh, but uh, I, I think it's, we're, in the, we're in the middle of it right now. Who would you cast as Stormy Daniels? As Stormy Daniels? You know, I've worked with her three times. Do you know she was in The 40-Year-Old Virgin and Knocked Up and Pineapple Express? I think we cut her out of Pineapple Express. And Meghan Markle was in Get Him to the Greek. Good casting instincts, right? Six degrees of jazz. Uh, but so we know Stormy Daniels, and we used her a lot because she was really smart and fun to hang out with and a nice person. You and, enjoyed working with her. And she was great. And we were like, well, we need somebody else to do something uncomfortable. Let's ask Stormy. And uh, she was uh, a very, very uh, you know, cool to be around and very professional. Uh, so it's weird to see her in this situation. You know what's the weirdest thing about this is... Uh, Donald Trump had an affair with Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal, the Playboy Playmate, the same weekend. People forget that's the same weekend. And Melania didn't leave him. Where my wife, we watched two episodes of The Crown together. <laughs> she went to the supermarket, and I watched episode three without her, and we are in a legal situation. <laughs> <laughs> It's a new avenue for divorce lawyers. Exactly, cheating yeah. on the, on the You Netflix. can't move forward. That's, you know, there's nothing worse than coming home and your wife's like, I watched five without you. Like, what? <laughs> Before I let you go, tell me what's something that movie, TV, mm-hmm. digital, website, tweet, yes. something that's not yours that's impressed you. Oh, I love uh, the documentary about Mr. Rogers. I think it's brilliant. And, Morgan uh, Neville. Uh, Morgan Neville did an amazing job. And it's, a, it's an important movie to watch right now because you know, we need people who uh, are symbols of kindness and compassion. Uh, it's also just beautifully made. Rendered. Great. Well, thank you so much, Jen. Yeah, thank you. Your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's show. We'll be back next time with another great episode. We've got a reality TV special, including stars Lisa Vanderpump and Ty Pennington. And if you like the show, I'd appreciate it if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Let us know, too, who you want to hear from. What stars and producers should we invite on? See you next time.